person who doesn't watch anime <laughs> right <laughs> i mean you know <laughs> nigga on the planet who doesn't like anime <laughs> i was on the you know i was on the train this is an aside we'll, we'll, we'll get started soon i was on the train coming home at like one o'clock in the morning from doing some shit i don't recall and like there were these two black guys on the train and one of them was explaining the entire character arc and like moral core of rock leader from naruto <laughs> to his friend grown ass men must easily somewhere between 25 to 35 i'm gonna give you a real cop a real cop description for black uh, between the ages of 25 and 55 between the heights of five six and six eight anywhere between 100 and 350 pounds but no the entire fucking like arc of rock lee's character he was like so yeah like, he could only do taijutsu and everyone else could do like fucking magic shit with their hands and this was like your word i was like yeah i was like this is this is what it is i was just like this is what this is what black outreach is missing it's not about having some random black lady in the background of all your photos looking at her fucking blackberry it's about, it's about telling me who your fa- what's your favorite shonen bro yeah no richard you sound with what like dragon ball z like a fucking casual i mean you know I, I did originally watch, you know, the, the dub versions mm-hmm. or the, mm-hmm. uh, excuse me, the sub versions, like way back, way back, mm-hmm. um, VHS. And th- those are like these <laughs> tape things for those of listeners who aren't familiar. <laughs> People don't want to no, They'll tell you you're making this shit up. You know, we know you don't watch anime. Anyway, let's get, to the, let's get to the meat of this shit. So I don't want you, again, I feel like a lot of our episodes start with me saying, please don't judge me <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I don't know. I, I kind of feel like we should talk about Nick Cannon's passing. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel that's that worthy of a little good, bit like, of conversation. Controversial opinion. Well, okay, so what is going on with Nick Cannon? I mean, I don't know, but controversial opinion. Eminem isn't that good a rapper. Eminem is not that good of a rapper. He's not particularly good at diss tracks. I like that kamikaze shit that came out. I'm like, bro, you're tired. This is contrived. You could do better. Be better. I expected better from this white boy who used to talk about. And I mean, that's the thing. Like he all he he came to fame talking about he's gonna stab. He was ICP just you know with Dr. Dre beats. That's all Eminem was. <laughs> like he's. I feel. So I agree with you. Jay, Eminem is like the white Jay-Z, except without all like, the money in Beyonce. He doesn't have like a, a white version of Beyonce. I don't know who the white version of Beyonce is to be his fucking wife. But like, you know, his older music, I don't think you can disagree that at, like back in the day, some like the Slim Shady LP, the, the Matt, I'll say the Mike Myers LP, whatever the fucking other one is. Like, <laughs> They have they have a lot of bangers on them, just like fucking Reasonable Doubt, Blueprint One, Blueprint Two, everything up to the Black Album. A lot of bangers on those shits. Uh, the problem comes that their careers just last too long, and I think rap is maybe because maybe this is like a controversial, maybe not a controversial opinion. Nineties, eighties, you know, hip hop is so deeply rooted in like the culture of like poverty and maldistribution of resources and deprivation. And Eminem did grow up poor. He did grow up in a trailer park. Uh, <laughs> you know, good for him, I guess. I don't know. 
Like that. Once, <laughs> once you remove them from that fucking, once you remove those kinds of rappers, the people whose like work is so you know rooted in anger and like the American dream, I guess, of trying to succeed, like or like some kind of you know pre-wire ethnolog- ethnography of the ghetto, like Nas and all that shit. Like once you remove them from that situation and get them into like, well, you're a millionaire now, you're a billionaire. What are you going to mm-hmm. rap about? It it kind they kind of fall apart, like. I don't care for Drake because of all the pedophilia, but you know, I say what you it's want. Pretty good reason. <laughs> but like, he should obviously leave that little Stranger Things girl alone. But the issue is, like, rappers like Drake and Lil Wayne. Oh, Lil Wayne was great in the '90s too, though. Like, who just like rap about having fun and having money and all the other shit, like from, from the beginning to the end. Like, they have longer careers of like middling quality but consistent quality because yeah. like they've always just been rapping about bullshit. Oh, I think you guys all raise a or raise a lot of uh, valid points, and I'm not really a big Eminem fan. Uh, I like you know listen to him when I was growing up or whatever, and the angst and all that shit I related to you know. And now I look through a lens of about the misogyny and all the things that makes me question a lot of things, uh, both about like society and growing up in in America at large. But uh, I mean, I was really just talking about when Suge said he was the next pop. That that's what I was thinking about, <laughs> but like uh, the the idea that like Nick Cannon was going to come out and, and beef and drop this beef album or these the tracks and was going to do all uh, do all those things and really what really bothered me about the pop comparison is besides Nick Cannon being a terrible terrible rapper like sh- uh, just, I mean w- say whatever you want to say about Eminem. It was, like Nick Cannon is not even in that class at all. <laughs> and Nick Cannon's in the class with Joe Budden. He's gonna be number three on somebody's best rapper list. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot more to Pac than the rap that I think is important. Is that like is completely lost and washed over and <clears throat> like this fake gangster shit that Nick was doing. Plus, Man, he's back to like, playing real thug. The, like uh, Suge Knight's gonna put Suge Knight's gonna hang Eminem off a balcony next. <laughs> Eminem's gonna Eminem's gonna get eyes. <laughs> like, let's, let's muscle, but... like that's that's why Nick Cannon can do this. Cause if you got Suge Knight right there, there's Eminem's not gonna respond. He don't he don't want nothing from Suge Knight. And I'm not even talking rap. Like Suge Knight will just show up to this nigga's house and just shoot him right now. Like there's he don't want it. I mean, was it Suge Knight or was it Nancy Suge Knight Pelosi? Was Nancy Suge Knight Pelosi uh Nick Cannon's new handler? It's just like Nancy Pelosi comes on TV. It's like uh, Nick Cannon is the new Tupac, <laughs> right? For those of you who remember Drumline, in that other movie he was in, where he played like the undercover black guy on a college campus. But Nick Cannon's only real claim to fame is being Mariah Carey's ex-husband. Was he in Save the Last Dance too? I think so. It doesn't make a difference. Anyway, let, let, let's uh. Hey. Yeah. Oh, let's let's get <laughs> to the non Nick Cannon corner. related portion of the show. Like I, I've already talked about <laughs> Nick Cannon more than I've thought about Nick Cannon in the past fucking decade and a half. Uh, uh-huh. I I will say so. I, I don't want to be judged not for my Nick Cannon lack of Nick Cannon knowledge, although I have seen Drumline again many times. Uh, but now that it looks like Bernie is definitely going to win, I think we have to pivot to like supporting one of the lesser candidates for, just for fun. <laughs> and I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna push Delaney. Yeah, you may, you may look at me like as though I'm being silly, but I have Delania 
Mm, mm, mm. I'm, a, I'm a delaniac. That sounds like, like a, a like a venereal disease. Is what that sounds like. You would say that because you're an anti lifter. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like you go to Planned Parenthood and they just have to pull you into a side and like, we're sorry, you've contracted Delania. I'm not sure if I'm I'm ready to have a president that that can't box jump. So I mean, I could get on the Delaney train, but uh, I mean, Bloomberg's offered six grand, and that's pretty appealing. What you would rather have? You would rather have a socialist. You'd rather have a woman. You'd rather have. A billionaire, you'd rather have a black person, you'd rather have a Jewish person to be president before you'd rather have a lifter be president. This is this is what I'm talking about when they call when they call lifters the invisible minorities. It, it's shit like this. If we have to if we have to pick a a tr- if we have to pick a shit candidate, um then I gotta go with I gotta go with um Stein twenty twenty. I gotta I gotta re up with who I voted for in sixteen. Give me the greens, guys. Is she running again? I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I have no fucking idea. I'll hear which makes you uh, more qualified to opine than Chris Elizabeth. So <laughs> I, I think we're good. Like I'll see stuff from um, Ajama Baraka still. Like I will see that. Uh, I have not seen anything from Stein. But if we're if we're pivoting. Uh, from, I guess, the unofficial endorsement that the discourse has given to Bernie Sanders, I've got to throw my weight behind uh, Jill Stein 2020. Fuck it all up and legalize shrooms. This wasn't this wasn't like a conversation. This was more of me telling you who we're, that we're, we're already pro Delaney from now on. I, I mean, for, like, I, no, I said it before. I'll say it again. He he may not have managed to lift his you know poll numbers past one percent, but he did manage to lift my spirit. Like with his like goofy ass face and his like too tight polo shirt, like. Like, yeah, he looks like he's about to sell you a timeshare, but also, you know, he's the only <laughs> presidential candidate who I think could literally, I don't know, physically beat Trump. I mean, besides Tulsi Gabbard, of course, we can't support Tulsi Gabbard. I think if we're if if people are OK with us starting an old person fighting ring, I think I would like to see Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump throw hands. I think Pelosi, I think Pelosi gets the I think she gets the TKO in the sixth. I think Nancy Pelosi would would fuck would fuck Trump up. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi would definitely. She won't but she quick. N- N- Nancy Pelosi would like yo. I Nancy Pelosi would hang Trump off a fucking balcony. <laughs> like absolutely, absolutely. I just I, just going back to Delancey for I mean Delancey. I can't remember fucking name. <laughs> going back to Delaney for a second. You gonna uh, remember that? We are gonna support him. It, it's not his name. Yo, a lifter by any other name would still smell like sweat, motherfucker. Like that's <laughs> would still smell like sweat and whey protein. I honestly think that if he had adopted a more like problematic, problematic ass, ass like toxic lifter bro persona, he would have done better. Because right now he comes across as being like very meek and annoying. But like if he just showed up to the fucking debates in like a gold gym tank top, like fucking racer back, like arms all pumped out, fucking two gallon jug of water. And like just fucking ate a whole rotisserie chicken when Pete Buttigieg was gonna going on one of his fucking long ass nerd rants. Like he'd be polling at least the top three. Well, he'd be topping out at three percent of the vote. But I mean, that's better than whatever he's doing now. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't think. I think we as a, as a society we've moved beyond our our lifter phase, and we are now into. Uh, in in the heart of thick boy winter, 
So all those thick boys out there, get ready to run. No, he's the thick. He's the thick boy. He like we're like we're in the heart of like a fucking thin boy, fucking fucking the thin boy apocalypse. That's why John Kaczynski is the world's biggest fucking action hero. It's just like in my day, you couldn't be in an action movie unless you were a fucking on like three different types of steroids. But like now, John Krasinski is like just fucking. He's in every reactionary fucking fantasy movie. It's so fucking annoying if he's not getting his wife fucking pregnant during a, in, like an alien apocalypse. Like he's like trying to overthrow a, a sovereign country. Jesus fucking Christ! I did actually mm, see no, I, a, a thread recently West. about how the u.s office is responsible for a lot of the ills that we face today and uh, i can see how th- those two relate <laughs> i have to apologize to you obviously for losing the last recording of the impeachment <laughs> episode uh that's what happens when you record a gorilla podcast you tend to lose things uh and so i have to apologize to you richard for not being more responsible in my leadership role but I will say I'm glad we get to do it again because new developments have happened since we talked about impeachment last time and uh, you know so it's just more talk about yeah uh, things have moved along a little bit still uh, like uh, as I as we speak I'm looking at the House Judiciary continue to debate the articles of impeachment they are going pretty late so I got to give them credit for at least seeming to try to actually get this through on time. They're really critical on the schedule. Uh, they need to get it out before this this week so that they have at least some time to have some sort of uh, debate in the House if they're going to actually want to get it passed out of the House before uh, the holidays. And they know that if they try to pass impeachment out of the House in the new year, they're going to have a lot stiffer. It's going to be even uh, worse for them politically, as it's even the most recent polling shows that they still failed to get to more than 50 percent of the public to support uh, impeachment. Well, we can't talk about impeachment, although we're going to talk about impeachment until we br- we bring out or we introduce, we premiere the new uh, segment on Discourse, Malarkey Watch 2020. Uh, that's what we're calling our weekly or bi-weekly or whatever I remember to think of doing it, a segment where we, we discuss if we had a little bit more budget, there'd be like a nice campaign show. A nice zoosh sound <laughs> or some sort of yeah, one of those, graphic. Like, one of those really fucking cool, like those, those like those bad. No, well, not graphics. This is a fucking audio podcast. What would what would, what would a graphic do? But one of those sound effects where it's like no 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 no. Oh, okay, just for you. That's, that's cool. So I only bring it up because it's kind of related. Well, rather, this one is kind of related to the impeachment itself because at a recent town hall, assume I'm assuming in Iowa, like some dude comes up to Biden. You might have saw this one. I mentioned it last time we recorded this, obviously, uh, and asks him. So, you know, you're in the process of impeaching Trump. You're in the process of impeaching Trump over his relationship with the Ukraine. But, you know, and this is a pretty, I think, a pretty expectable question, a question you would expect to hear considering the nature of the impeachment and the nature of who Joe Biden is. He goes, what does that say about your, you know, what about your son, essentially? Because as we know, the impeachment, which we will discuss in a few minutes, is related or revolves heavily around a phone call between a, a president of Ukraine, Zelensky, and Trump regarding uh, an inv- Trump asking Biden, uh, Zelensky to investigate Biden's son Hunter's job at a Ukrainian fucking 
energy company, uh, more a, a shell company essentially, because they didn't really. I don't think they actually tried actually traded or owned any fucking things but you know essentially a cushy deal for uh the son of the vice president of the united states that he got a few months after he was elected and i would imagine if that was occurring on the campaign trail you would expect to hear that question and biden just fucking loses his mind so immediately the 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 fellow who asked the question admittedly portly gentleman i mean nothing wrong with that you know he it it is what it is biden's america so i mean he was not not uh on the extreme side of the scale i would say who are we to judge it's not important you know that's not important part sorry not important to me not important to you not important to to the the question he was asking obviously right (laughs) we thought anyway i mean biden's response was pretty good though he was like first of all i see you're asking me a question but my question to you is do you even lift bro like you seem like the sedentary type um, he, he jumps immediately into insulting the dude's fucking like physical phys- physique and then challenging him to not only a push-up contest but an iq test well, that's a classic you know you, you don't really i mean it, on the internet maybe occasionally you still get that but uh the iq test thing i feel like since iq has been rather thoroughly debunked amongst people that consider themselves you know relatively intelligent uh the idea that they would use an iq test to settle something is, is a very old notion but i guess that's fitting of of a candidate like biden well i mean it's classic Biden apparently because there's a there's video of him in 1988 when he was running for president last time challenging a reporter who asked him a question to an IQ test to prove that he was smarter than the reporter or that he was actually in the top 50% of his fucking graduating class at law school. That's the funny thing about the, about the clip from the 80s because he talks about how he almost failed out of college, which I think, you know, is a pretty relatable story to hear from Joe Biden. He's like, you know, he was in the bottom two thirds of his law class at, I don't know, University of Delaware, where the motherfucker went to school. And then he pulled up his grades and got into the top 50% of his law school. Now, the math wizards amongst our listeners will realize that there is a lot of overlap between bottom 66 the bottom 66% and top 50%. There's about 16% overlap there. Or no, exactly 16% overlap. So not really something to be, you know, proud of, but relatable. It's just weird because in I feel like in Biden, you see somebody who has like obvious aggressive tendencies rooted in insecurity and that he's had for at least the past 30 years. And now that he's going to like, you know, cognitive decline, you see them, you see the frustration escalating even further and he's becoming even more and more unhinged. It's, it's fucking great. I mean, obviously I don't advocate for Biden win the primary, but there's a sick part of me who's like, what, um, can you imagine the fucking debates between Biden and Trump? Can you imagine Richard? Oh man, uh, like it won't take long before we're talking about the most random and obscure things, and I don't think anybody on the stage will have any idea what any of them are talking about. <laughs> like they're both already so disjointed and incoherent. Uh, I mean, Trump in particular, but Biden ever increasingly. The more that you see of him on the campaign trail, especially if he's under not under optimum conditions for himself, uh, is like you said, is like not not even just for like for laughs or anything like that but like his mental decline is noticeable between like uh, you've mentioned before uh, the last vice presidential debate that he was in or once before that it's like while his poli- his politics has remained just as shitty his his, his mental capacities his ability and his uh, 
his speaking and his ability to just form coherent thoughts has declined noticeably. His ability to not get frustrated with like campaigning and being asked questions is, is you know, is in decline. Yeah, I, that's maybe just a normal bit of uh, grumpy old manism, you know, like, uh, you know, if you've lived once you've lived, I think, you know, 60, 70, 80, getting close to 80 years, I think you do just generally get frustrated with people that don't just accept what you say as sage wisdom. <laughs> well, I mean, there's that. I mean, but the Democratic Party, like the at least the last two candidates they tried to push forward as the general nominee have had that really weird issue where like they don't like to be challenged by voters like Hillary Clinton was known for like blowing up on people in the campaign trail like it's like there's definitely an issue of like Biden being an asshole Biden being in mental decline but then there's like a third uh, sort of tertiary issue of just like this weird neo-aristocracy that he feels like he belongs to where he shouldn't have to answer questions either which we still have like the illusion of democracy you should still want to answer questions and not with such contempt at the idea of just being asked. And I mean, we definitely yeah, saw it through the 2016 campaign with Hillary and then Biden has already several times, not just in that one particular instance, but been just confronted with somewhat difficult questions. And his immediate response is either to, you know, basically tell the person to fuck off or just, uh, yeah, go ahead and vote for somebody else, not me, which is a very interesting campaign strategy. I mean, it's a, I mean, it works in the general. I mean, it's, it was the it's the Democratic campaign strategy and journalist least the implicit one but it's a weird you know it's a weird tactic to pull in the primary especially when like for better or worse his main argument for why he is the best person to go against trump is his experience uh and his electability which is rapidly diminishing in the eyes of his i mean democratic party voters i would argue but for me, it's impossible not to think about, like, how bad this can escalate because you see the kind of questions that, like, fucking Sanders, this was on my head. I have a fucked up brain. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but, like, a few weeks ago at one of Sanders' many, many town halls, like, a veteran came up to Sanders and tried to give him his Navy jacket. You remember, like, you remember that? He was like, you know, I'm a veteran. I have Huntington's disease, you know, stage four, fucking, you know, it's it, a lot of debt because this is America and I can't, and I'm no longer being taken care of by the VA or any sort of like veterans assistance because my healthcare is, you know, expensive and this is America and it fucking sucks. And he's like, I want to give you my jacket and I'm basically, I'm going to go fucking kill myself. And like, can you imagine, you know, and that story is sad and fucking tragic and it's it's all too fucking real and consistent in America. But then like, and the guy is doing better now. Sanders helped him. A lot of Sanders followers helped him. You know, unfortunately, he, they shouldn't have to help him. We should have a country that is, you know, able to help us, not only as veterans, but everybody. But like, could you imagine that same conversation with fucking Biden? Oh, man. Like, could you, like the fucking bleakness of that conversation if like some fucking veteran went up to Biden was like, look, man, I have like stage four fucking, I don't know, Huntington's disease or fucking uh, ALS or some shit. And, you know, I'm wondering and I can't afford health Medicare. I can't afford medication. Like, I'm wondering what what you have for me. And like Biden is just like, I don't know. Maybe you should vote for Marianne Williamson. You know, if you're going to be a big pussy, you know, just vote, vote, vote for vote for the crystal queen. We can't help you. You might as well yeah, start using the crystals. It's it's like that's it's almost sounds like an exaggeration. But having them, if you've seen any of the videos of him interacting with people, it is it's that bad. Probably worse. 
it is that bad. I mean, like he's he's going up to people who have who have uh, family members who are being deported by ICE. You know, a system that he worked under with Obama, a system that like he was you know essentially escalating under Obama and is now going out of control. And like he's just unprepared to answer questions that you would imagine anyone would answer but that's really kind of like the backdrop or like a lazy segue into the conversation of impeachment because you wouldn't talk about impeachment i do feel like we spend a lot of time fucking talking about the dumbass democrats because they upset me uh and not enough time like criticizing the basically terroristic fucking republican party so let's 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 go into impeachment let's keep this tight let's keep this fucking like you know flowing what the fuck is going on Right. Like what what is I, I understand now, not when we first recorded, but now I understand <laughs> like the the sort of like the the background to like what they're accusing him of. And I get but what is happening at the hearings themselves? Because I've only been half paying attention to them. I thought they were over. Like I thought it was just one of those like kind of like show things that only lasted a week and then they would just be over like like, like the Benghazi hearings Republicans did all the time. Mm-hmm. And which is, is more or less what I expected as well. Uh, it's been dragging on and it's been uh, it's it's hearings in Congress. I don't know if for those I imagine most of our listeners have at least watched or seen some clips, especially recently between Mueller and, and everything else. So they've seen some of, of these this kind of theatrics, but it is just. This is particularly bad because as uh, like for those that have listened or have been paying attention uh, that what's actually happening regarding the impeachment efforts, as you mentioned earlier about uh, Hunter Biden and his job is Democrats are completely and absolutely avoiding any notion that there's anything wrong with what Hunter Biden did. And Republicans, as ridiculous and absurd as they generally are, they've managed to seize and capitalize on that and jump on it and to at least uh, for like how this these hearings will be broken down for right wing or even independent audiences. They're going to have clips that are going to make the Democrats argument look bad. And what uh, what's happening right now, especially is other Democrats in the House, in the particularly the centrist Democrats, are looking at this, including the two that voted against even uh, starting the impeachment uh, process, really. Uh, they're looking at it and seeing polling do poorly, uh, not weighing over independence, and essentially most in, the increase, what little increase in support for uh, impeachment has that there's been over the last week or two has been largely just among Democrats getting closer to nine out of 10 supporting impeachment consistently versus eight out of 10. And so, like, with that in mind, they, they're really politically jammed up because there's virtually there's basically no good way for this to work out for democrats but at the same time they're hamstrung in that they completely uh, abandon any appearance of actually being an opposition if they can't even get uh, impeachment articles for a blatantly and obviously criminal president out of the house and they really uh What's the word I want to look for? Uh, They really, I guess, hamstrung themselves by picking this of all of the horrific things that Trump does day in and day out that are impeachable. They pick this in order to to seize on. And as again, as you mentioned with Hunter Biden, it opens up a lot of vulnerabilities if they are to ever end up in a Senate hearing, which is a bit further. But I'll stop for a moment and let you uh, get in there. 
Well, I mean, just lay it out more clearly because I don't want anyone to be. I'm assuming both of our listeners are not following the impeachment hearings and don't really know what's happening, right? I think that's kind of the. I think I, I mentioned it before, at least I mentioned it on the majority report when I was on there, uh, that there seems to be like three major populations of people who are involved with the impeachment, who are engaging with the impeachment. There's like your core, right? The people who are like actively, literally involved with the impeachment that are like, you're a Democrat, you're Republicans, you're people who are trying to litigate this, who are writing up the articles, the media, people who are like literally involved with it. And they're parsing through all the details and trying to find a nuance there. Then you have like a uh, bubble around them like a layer around them another valence to put i guess put it in fucking chemistry terms uh around them of people who are like who believe themselves to be legally savvy and i guess some of the pundits fall into this category too people who believe themselves to be legally savvy you know politically savvy uh but are also really engage or trying to engage with the the the, the theater of it right the theater of the the process and by that I mean, like, they consider themselves to be smart people, and, they, and they're taking the stuff that they're hearing at, like, face value. And I, I don't think this is really mostly Republicans. I think this is mostly, like, centrist Democrats. Like, they are engaging with the Ukraine stuff. They're engaging with the, you know, with the Ukraine's connect, stuff connections to Russia. You know, because obviously this is in some ways born out of Russiagate or a cipher for Russiagate that never really kind of, which never really materialized into anything I, I yet, I guess because they might still do it and I, uh, just uh, else, which is some people will say that some people from trump's administration were arrested even though if he likes any of them he can pardon the moment like as soon as after the election's done or before if he really wanted to be bold but see but but that also speaks to like those arrests also speak to what i'm saying here and i'll just say i'll finish my first thought and then go back to that and then you have a third you know you have the third group which i would consider you know myself and maybe you to be in that group as well who are kind of only engaging with the impeachment at the surface level right who like I, and like symbolically ask like what does this impeachment mean uh you know, what are they do like, you know, what are they doing? Like what is this about? Right? Like what is this actually about? <laughs> like, it is or, a historic moment, you know, like people it will go down in history as, as a time in uh the United States that other people will want to know about. So like I mean it feels there's an obligation to pay some attention in my view. Well, I mean, for me, I, I, the, the the last group is the one that people are, are fighting over. Because the, the middle group are, you know, centrists who are not, are centrist liberals, Democrat-aligned people, people who are, you know, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton dead-enders, uh, Joe Biden fans, Democratic establishment, uh, you know, flunkies, who don't really want to accept or have already special pleaded the Joe Biden connection out of the way, right? They, they've already said, yeah, Hunter Biden, this is just another fucking like Hillary Clinton's emails situation. And we'll get into that in a second. But the third group is who everyone's competing over. Because I feel, and this is, this is what I would have, you know, before I read up on this, is what I would have felt if someone had asked me on the street, like, hey, you know, Trump is being impeached. You know that? I'd be like, yeah, I know Trump is being impeached. You know that they're impeaching him right now, right? And they would say, well, what is he being impeached over? And I would just, I would have struggled to give an answer for that. I and I, I probably would have just projected onto I probably would have said Russia. I think if I think depending on who you asked and like what their political ideology is, they would give you a different answer. That's not a particularly you know a unique perspective, but I think some people quid say pro quo came out a lot. But go ahead. Yeah, quid pro quo, you know, Russia, you know, quid pro quo, which it could apply to both Trump and Biden, considering what Biden is being what Trump 
what Trump asked Zelensky to look into Biden for, right? Because I think there's a certain aspect, per, certain part of the population it's like, oh, well, there is no proof that Trump asked Zelensky to do anything immoral or illegal. It's like Trump definitely asked Zelensky to do something. Like, like, of course he did. Like, of course he did something immoral. Like, it is quid pro quo. You know, he like he's definitely that kind of person. Uh, but the third layer of people, the people who are kind of like projecting their values onto the, you know, projecting their values onto the situation. Like maybe Trump is being impeached for the concentration camp. Maybe he's being impeached for Russia. Maybe he's being impeached for, you know, uh, grabbing pussy. Maybe he's getting impeached for being just a big orange dumbass. Maybe he's getting impeached for uh, I, any number of things, right? Projecting, And then because I guess that's my way of saying that there's the people at the core who are in some ways trying to use this for like literal political or material or social or you know social gain right it's a way to for adam shift to get reelected. it's a way for you know ex-republican to do why it's a way for this particular pundit or this particular politician this particular person to advance their career then you have the people around them who are doing it or who are engaging with it for for specifically emotional and political or rather emotional and social components like they're still trying to uh come up with excuses for hillary clinton and why she lost and trying to like get trump out of office and then everyone else is just trying to you know get by in their life and they're they're like the two parties are com- are competing for them additionally i wanted to lay out what what this is about essentially just more clearly trump called Zelensky. there's a transcript maybe it came from the cia i think it came from the cia right uh, the the transcript is is notes. It's it's not a literal transcript of it. It is basically uh, a kind of a hand uh, sorted transcripted that was not necessarily comprehensive. Is the best way I could describe it. Yeah, I don't care. Trump probably did. Like Trump asked Zelensky to look into Biden, Hunter Biden situation at this fake energy company that he got right after. Biden was elected, uh, rather Biden and Obama was elected, and they started funneling money to and the weapons towards Ukraine, uh, which led to a coup or assisted in a coup. Uh, what they're saying is that Trump withheld aid to Ukraine uh, before, you know, withheld withheld aid to Ukraine in pursuit of getting this information from Zelensky or having him look into it, having him look into the Russia connection, having him look into the Steele dossier. You know, Rudy Giuliani became mayor of Kiev for some reason. A, a whole bunch of stuff happened there. Uh, but again, that doesn't really matter, right? What matters is the symbolism behind it because, like, impeachment is not a legal thing. It's a political thing. Like, this, like, this whole impeachment proceeding is a political arena it, just because the law is a political and social thing. From the from the genesis of all this, from when Trump was first getting elected, uh, there was obviously a, a, the thought of, well, we this guy, we can't give this guy the nuclear uh, nuclear football. So obviously, you know, he's got to be impeached somehow. And from day one, he started doing impeachable things. And people were like, so why do, what are we waiting for? And uh, since then, Democrats essentially adopted a position that while 
even something like being a big orange idiot is technically an impeachable offense. Since it is a political endeavor, uh, they can't go after something like that or, you know, is blatant racism or the violations of the emolument clause or anything like that, because those are tougher to make strictly legal cases about in which Trump is clearly guilty of a crime. And if he's not guilty of a crime, we don't think we'll be able to rally the support for impeachment because, well, Republicans are law and order. And so we should be able to convince them to impeach Trump over breaking the law, but not something that's political. And like, so for everything that they avoided, that that was a part of the calculation and for why they chose this particular thing to make what they wanted to impeach Trump about uh these things uh, is also related to that and it was always going to be a poor strategy but go on I don't know if it's a I don't know if it's inherently a poor strategy I think that it's be, it's turning out to be they they're incapable of weaponizing it I think that's the issue when I say that the impeachment's a symbol I think it can be a symbol for both parties right you have the Republican party I think this what you're laying out or what you're hitting towards is the main criticism of the impeachment or Democrats pursuing impeachment for as long as they did which is that the Republican party can turn it around on them like in a vacuum Republican party can turn it around on them and use it to galvanize their base towards re-electing Trump or trying to re-elect Trump in 2020, right? This can be the rallying cry. It's a witch hunt. The the Democratic Party is just out to get me, you know? And that particular narrative of it being a witch hunt, of the Democratic Party being sore losers, of trying to oppress and, you know, make a victim out of the Republican Party because they don't want, you know, they don't want America to be great again or whatever bullshit, men to be men again or some other, like, just nonsense, is... You know, like it's it's a fear based in a real analysis of the Republican Party's like complex victimology, because the only thing that holds the far left, the far right together, the far left is held together by a lot of things. But the only thing that holds the far right together is that they perceive themselves as being beset on all sides by threats. You know, there's a threat of brown people. There's a threat of the big government. There's the threat of the of Jewish people. There's the threat of women's liberation. There's the threats of, of affirmative action. They just see threats everywhere. And so actually having something to, you know, circle around, actually having a legitimate, we're being made a victim of by the Democratic Party, uh, is a real thing that they will actually really do. Though the other side of that is that the what you know that victim complex that they that is at the core of their ideology, like it's mostly just imagined anyway. Like right, like if they didn't have impeachment, they would have made something up. Like they would have made something up to coalesce around. Whether having a real thing or a fake thing is more effective is up for debate. But there would have been something to cl- that they would claim is making them the victim. Mm -hmm. Just like, uh, you know, they're always being their opposition is always socialist communist, regardless of it's Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders or further left. And so like uh, there's an aspect to it of if you're going to go up against the Republicans, go up against them with what you believe and do it full with like full throatedly rather than to try to you know, negotiate with them in a way like uh, for instance we saw Obama try several times only to be rejected after negotiating away everything that he allegedly wanted in the first place and I, the what the reason why I say it was always going to be a poor strategy is because it hinged on one of the most consistent 
uh, like tricks that Democrats fall for, which is that Republicans are good faith actors. It's like they're not. And so if if suddenly abandoning any sense of principle or the rule of law or whatever benefits them politically or personally, they'll do it in a heartbeat. And there isn't some underlying uh, fidelity to the Constitution, to law and order or to any of those kinds of concepts that supersede their own personal self-interest. And so like Democrats. Uh, playing into that or allowing themselves to to walk into that with the this impeachment or finally choosing this for all uh, out of everything to impeach Trump for, and then also doing it so poorly. Just uh, for me, I just kind of saw this coming in that way. Well, if they were going to go after him, they should have gone after him with a very clear, very uh, generally understandable thing, right? For all for what it's worth, Russia, like the Russia narrative, I never really got into it because it always seemed at the core to not be concerned with like maintaining, you know, you speak about the rule of law and Republicans having no respect for it. It's just like for all of the articles and podcasts and headlines regarding, oh, the election of Trump and Trump's just lawlessness is going to destroy the republic, the sanctity of democracy. No one cares about those things. Like, no one cares about the republic. No one cares about the sanctity of democracy. The republic thinks the democracy, you know, are just other words for like the social order, like the way the world works and the currently the status quo, the ability for society to fucking hold itself together. And for the people who are trying to put, you know, put, uh, pursue that line of argumentation regarding Trump's election being so deleterious in the existential crisis, they were really just talking about themselves. They were saying, like, this is how we feel about the world now, not how the world is objectively, right? Trump represents an apocalypse to our own psychological and emotional and social well-being, specifically in how we feel the world, like what we feel to be true about America, what we feel to be true about our own circle, what we feel to be true about our own shit. I think for the for a lot of people, it's like Trump, the election of Trump did not represent an existential threat to the degree that the centrist media played it out to be because a lot of people were already living under a constant existential threat. Now, that's not to say that more people haven't been put into that bucket of living under like actual material danger, you know, by the nature of the escalation of ice and escalation of the bombing campaigns in the Middle East, the escalation of Armenian shadow wars, et cetera, et cetera. But that is to say that that's an expansion. You know, a lot of those groups were already living under at least a measure of existential threat by nature of the way we engage in foreign and domestic policy. But Trump has definitely heightened those things. But the group that was most concerned with framing it as like an existential, literally the Republic is crumbling fucking threat, were just like centrist. Like I would say, argue that second group that I mentioned in the beginning, you know, albeit inarticulately, who just frame Trump as a danger to their own sense of what society is based on what they perceive it to be based on their own, essentially their social group. Uh, But speaking of empowering Trump through bullshit, it's like framing Trump as like a literal existential threat with also a fucking double-edged sword because it created such a low bar for him that as long as he fucking did not literally destroy the world, he, he, he fucking superseded. That's the danger of apocalyptic rhetoric when it comes to your campaigning because at a certain point, all he had to do was say, I didn't literally destroy the world, so, you know, things are fucking better. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a very important point. I think the the vulnerability of that apocalyptic uh, kind of campaigning, and then as you said, it lowers the bar so that all all there has to be is the country existing come election time, and Trump's already superseded his, the expectations, which we know politically is is generally good for the person that does it. I think it's also an important point that you raise about how Trump is expanding things, and it's like Trump, while he has built additional concentration camps it's like the concentration camps that got full were getting full under obama the kids were in cages and sleeping in their own uh you know fecal matter and such and it's like the trump administration had to argue uh, against a lawsuit brought against uh, the obama administration's ice or uh, border patrol regarding whether these children needed to have access to things like a toothbrush in order to be considered uh being uh main or having sanitary conditions and is like the Obama administration also argued against the idea that they needed toothbrushes in order to be meeting the legal requirements of providing sanitary conditions. And this is like the horrific nature of our border policy, our foreign policy, where nine out of the 10 of the people that we were killing with bombs were not people we were targeting and basically essentially civilians and, uh, you know, or a variety of other aspects of our policy. It's what's happened is they've taken something that was bad and horrific and Trump has made it worse. He hasn't uh, manifested it from whole cloth. It's, it's not something most of these things, if not all of them are expansions or, uh, uh, or yeah, essentially expansions of existing policy rather than wholly brand new policy. I mean, there are some examples in the Muslim ban we could say is uh, more something of, of Trump's creation, but is also still built off of a, uh, uh, xenophobia that goes back to the Bush administration and carried through the Obama administration and is also represented represented by folks like Comey and Mueller who uh, have admitted publicly that they were part of giant criminal uh, domestic spying operations. Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the two articles. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the two articles of impeachment that they wanted to fucking that they're trying to get Trump under are obstructing obstructing Congress essentially, and also like using the office of the president to enrich himself. Uh, like fucking Clapper, Comey, all the people fucking obstruct. Like literally, you should always lie to Congress. Like no, like there never seems to be any punishment to for lying to Congress unless you happen to deviate from like I don't know like the you know, it, as long as you're lying about our war crimes to us, like like you're like, hey, no, no, we don't, we don't do, we don't do domestic spying. So you're crazy. You don't you're crazy. We don't spy on Congress. Don't no. Like th- then you're fine. Like that. Like that is an important point I think to make. But you, I mean, we've talked about like how Trump's policies are built on old bonds. That's old hat. People know that, and like that's like, and it's like the escalation of that point. It goes back to the question of Joe Biden and the question of exceeding expectations and what it means for the Democratic Party to not actually want to engage with the the substance of what Trump did, which was uh, again, I would admit, immoral. Is it enough to impeach him for over? That's a political. That's a political question, not really a legal one. I, I'm not. I'm not interested in in uh, parsing out the legality of what he did because it doesn't matter. It really does. Like, it, it simply does not matter. Uh, yeah, the only people that matters who are already convinced uh, of his guilt. So it doesn't. There's no. It doesn't benefit anybody to to make that case because the people that aren't convinced aren't going to be convinced regardless. What there should be for this thing or that thing to me is kind of like it's not irrelevant because you, I would like for Trump to be impeached for something that could broaden. Broadly implicate 
our status quo, right? Which is something we could talk about in a second once I finish this point. But it assumes that everyone in that third group belongs to that second or first group who have already special pleaded away Biden, Biden, Hunter Biden, Trapper Biden, whatever fucking Biden. What, he, he names his fucking kids like Sarah Palin names his fuck, their fucking, her fucking kids. Like Sarah Palin's kids also have those fucking stupid ass, uh, like, you know, old English named after job fucking names like Terry Palin's kids are all named like Trapper and fucking uh fucking like Balto and shit and like Biden's also kids are also named like that but uh like it assumes that everyone in the third group everyone who's like paying like half paying attention to this because they have real problems are going to be able to distinguish between like what they're arguing is the hard quid pro quo of the Trump administration in regards to Ukraine versus the soft normal not illegal quid pro quo of hunter hunter biden and joe biden but to me both those things seem pretty equivalent like like we know like we know the impeachment is not about ukraine no one gives a shit about ukraine uh in the, in this particular this is just a cipher for like the general desire to impeach trump and his general desire to implicate or rather to carve out trump as this uh existential threat to america which he might be but not that's at the point more so like this anomalous existential threat to america that has no contemporary uh parallels or historical genealogy either in the republican party specifically or our two-party system or america's own you know hegemonic ideologies uh so like this particular narrative was very carefully chosen because it doesn't really implicate too many people like you know going after them for emoluments or campaign financing or money laundering might and but it's still like even through, though all the care was taken to not go or you know the concentration camps obviously even though all this care was taken to not pick a narrative that would implicate too many people they still found one that implicates their uh, their the their preferred candidate for president yeah and uh, just to, as a just to point out the articles of impeachment do specifically name hunter biden in them by name so that it's inevitably going to come up and i already saw like a little preview of that in the house judiciary there was a moment where one of the republicans was going on about how hunter biden was uh wandering through a homeless encampment looking to buy crack and this is like i guess a story from hunter himself (laughs) from his rap album (laughs) at the same time as he was collecting uh tens of thousands of dollars a month from this ukrainian company and basically said it's like i i have a hard time believing Believing that he was worth that to the Ukrainian company for anything other than his political uh, connections, not and it's like essentially putting making a rather much clearer or more readily apparent case as to why this person clearly wasn't capable or qualified to take the position that they were and to earn the money they were, and by having his name in there, it'll it'll be virtually impossible to make a salient case about why he can't be brought 
up and uh, for a hearing for questioning and with the I won't go too far into the process stuff, but the uh, Senate Republicans are going to be pretty much in control of making any sort of rules about how the process will actually work in the Senate. And so uh, when it comes to interviews or asking people, it'll be up to them whether they require Biden, Hunter Biden to come in in front of Congress and speak on television, essentially, or if he's going to be able to do a taped deposition type uh, thing that, like we saw for much of Clinton's impeachment. First of all, I want to make it clear. We're not shitting on Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden is fucking awesome. Like Hunter, all Hunter Biden does is like take easy fucking jobs and smoke crack and strip clubs. Hunter Biden is the patron saint of the discourse as far as I'm fucking concerned. That motherfucking come on this show. I don't like his father, but you know, this nigga, he can fucking hang. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I got nothing personal against uh, Hunter and, uh, you know, everybody's got struggles and stuff, so I don't hold any of that stuff personally against him, obviously. If my job, if my father offered me a job in the fucking Ukraine to like basically sit around and do drugs and fucking like hang around Eastern European women like and make like a bank, I would absolutely take that job. I would I would dress just like fucking Vin Diesel in Triple X. You know that one scene where he had that long ass mink coat and he's in that grungy ass blade ass vampire club and I think Czech in Czech Republic. That shit, like, that's all I would do. That's all I would do. It would, it would fucking ball out of control. Like I, I can't be mad at Hunter Biden for balling out of control. Like fucking riding up the strip club on his fucking razor scooter. Uh, but from the outside looking in, if like if you're not a part of that fucking world where you're basically just handed jobs, you're handed jobs, you're handed positions because of hey, you know, your father knew this person, or because you had connections at Harvard, or because like this and that, you know, jobs that you definitely don't deserve. Because you know, when you talk about unemployment on Twitter, which we do all the time, I did when I was unemployed. Like, the, the act of job hunting is so demeaning and so deleterious and so annoying. And so many jobs want you to have unreasonable amount of experience for things that don't even require them. Like they want you to have like the, the whole joke is like, oh, we want you three to five years of experience, a uh, master's degree, trilingual, starting pay thir- $35,000 a year. So, you know, like, I mean, that it sounds like a joke, but that's like, that's the fucking world we live in, right? So when you look at someone like Hunter Biden, who's handed a job in Ukraine, like a job, you know, a lot of jobs don't require a college degree. Don't They don't require you to have experience in the field. They just pretend like they do because like that's the market. Like, I feel like if you're going to be a high up at a Ukrainian energy company, you should probably know things about Ukraine and like the energy sector in Ukraine. It's the energy sector broadly. I don't believe Hunter Biden knows those things. Like be able to find it on a map. I look, look if you like, I I kind of know where Ukraine is on a map, but I I wouldn't say I could find it. But like Hunter Biden, clearly, like this, the, the whole thing clearly smells, right? Like it, it's clear, just from like the the symbolism alone is, is nepotism, right? And it, and I think that for a party of people, the Democratic Party, I mean, who pride themselves explicitly, implicitly on being like masters of rhetorical and symbolic fucking uh, argumentation for why they should be better than why they should be considered better and more moral and more intelligent Republican Party. They're really bad at sending signals properly. They're, they send so many mixed messages and they don't seem to understand or have any conception about how the things they do are going to be perceived by normal people. They just like listen to their own internal think tanks and like basically Basically, people who orbit around them, like the Democratic line media, like, oh, yeah, the Hunter Biden thing, not a big deal. Just like Hillary Clinton's emails. It's like, no, really, Hillary Clinton's emails are like Elizabeth Warren's fucking 
American Indian thing where it's like it's there it was kind of hard to understand it, was, it wasn't very legible to the average person I would argue but the broad strokes was that this person was doing something shady at their job or in Warren's case someone was doing something shady with their you know with their identity and that's shady I don't, I don't like a shady person Hunter Biden's situation is actually like that's incredibly legible I would argue much more legible than whatever like and, and the the Ukraine asked the Ukrainian president for like quid pro quo that's people understand that too but like I think that both of these circumstances are incredibly incredibly easy to understand for the average person and that makes it a problem because while the core and the periphery of the core of the people who are engaged in the process have decided that this is not a big deal this is just the way business is done in washington uh it all it does is empower Trump when he goes into debate Biden, which he hopefully he never gets a chance to do because it, it would just devolve into Biden fat shaming Trump, which would be kind of funny, honestly, <laughs> like challenging Trump to a fucking IQ test or some shit. But like uh, it, it ends in like, a geriatric fistfight, I imagine. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they might both just die up on that stage. They're, they are two very unhealthy gentlemen from my, just from the outside looking in. It's like silver lining, it, I guess. Go on. Silver alert, more like it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you got to go hard now. Shit's just getting real. Anyway, but like, no, like people, like all it does is empower Trump to go like, you know what? Fuck, like, fuck it. Like, yeah, they want to impeach me over Ukraine, but fucking Joe Biden's son over there was doing, like, he got a job. They gave him a job so they could get access to the, the Obama administration. It's like, that's just the truth. Like, and if it's not the truth, truth, like the, you know, the quote unquote, the truth, it certainly sounds like the truth based on the, the, the broad strokes of what happened. Yeah, uh, during 2016, there was a lot of uh, litigation between, I mean, with Hillary's emails in particular, but a variety of things, like whether it's the Democratic primary process in general or whatever, where uh, like a lot of neoliberal folks and people in that camp in general just got really into this, well, if you can't definitively prove X, Y, or Z happened, then, oh, it's just a wild rumor and da 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 And it's like, that may be, that may score you political points in uh, a strictly, you know, uh, kind of debate setting amongst your other uh, erudite peers, but when you go to just the everyday voters that are struggling to survive capitalism, they, they don't make that delineation. They're just like, well, no, that looks a lot like And uh, I'm going to go ahead and assume that they are also like all the other politicians in the behavior that it looks like. And it is corruption and it is uh, bad and that they can't confront it and deal with it just gives me no confidence that they're going to be able to confront or deal with any of the other serious issues that may implicate them. No, yeah, you're right. Like, I, and I wouldn't even call them erudite. Like, they're semi-erudite. They're, they're semi-politically erudite. They're se- they, they consider themselves to be arbiters of what's right and wrong based on their own objective sense of what they view their own objective sense of morality. And the reason they think that is because usually when you're of a privileged type, you know, you operate in those elite rich spaces, like your, your standards, your morality, like your personal sense of what's right and wrong, which tends to be like centrist fucking ideology revolves around what makes you most comfortable and what implicates you or doesn't implicate you uh like what also it, what definitive or like what separates you and makes your morality superior to the political alternative of Republicans? That is a, uh, definitely a huge component of this, that they feel like they're morally superior to these people. And one of the reasons why they struggle with challenges from the left. Continue. Oh, no, they, they, they do. They feel that they're morally superior to them. And they feel that way, both because like of their own standpoint as like 
I'm like, we are slightly less corrupt than them, which I, I would argue Democratic Party is slightly less corrupt than the Republican Party. That there's nothing wrong with saying Democratic Party is the lesser of two evils. It's a shitty standard, but they definitely are. But the problem becomes when you are standing where Democratic Party is standing, where the elite Democratic Party is standing, and you decide that evil is defined by the distance between you and Republicans, and you and, and basically goodness is defined by where you are. And then you ask everyone else who is around you to also define it that way, because that's what the issue with Nancy Pelosi or with the whole situation is. It's the Democratic Party saying to themselves, well, you know, people can, you know, what was that thing Nancy Pelosi said when she was on a newspaper? Like, How are we going to explain to the urban youth? How are we going to explain to the urban demographic uh, that, you know, Trump is, you know, is violating all these laws and norms and all that other shit? And that's why they use law. I would argue why they use laws and norms interchangeably because for them, you know, what they consider to be the implicit moral standards of their of their world tend to be one to one with law use, not the law as it's written, because that's like we mentioned before, like the law as it's written is fucking meaningless. It's like the law as it's written doesn't like it's is completely if like if not completely meaningless, it's it's more of a guide, right? And that's up to the standards and the biases and the pressures of the rest of society and our culture. And so, but they expect people to be able to tell and make, you know, to make hay out of the distance between a Nancy Pelosi type corruption or Biden type corruption which they don't view as corruption or, or necessary corruption and uh, Trump type corruption. And I would argue that there's just like there's just not that much difference to the average person, because if you were guilty of an analogous or much worse crime, a much less worse crime, like jumping a turnstile, you would fucking like you'd be like you would be shot <laughs> like but they don't see it that way. Yeah. And I think part of it, it just uh, uh picking up on some theory I'm reading at the moment is just like there's a disconnect between the democratic leadership and the people that they're supposedly representing i think the there's a huge disconnect between them and it's a, like a foreseeable outcome and if even if you give democrats the most uh, charitable benefit of the doubt and that they did genuinely want to you know ha- bring a progressive politics to to the forefront they've so far disconnected themselves from the people that they're trying to represent that they no longer do that and they serve uh, basically the uh, all, the opposite interest of continuing to marginalize and oppress the same people that they rhetorically speak up in support of. And it's been an escalating and continue getting continually worse in the context of having Trump as the person or the entity that they have to simply do better than to justify in their minds, uh, undying support from anybody who isn't, uh, basically, in Trump's corner and to me with impeachment is one example but you see it in a variety of polling where the democratic democrats only make up at best a third of just voters like not even adults it's like you know somewhere around maybe 25 to 30% of adults would identify as democrats and a slightly smaller number will identify as republicans And so the idea that Trump isn't being impeached simply just because of Republicans or because people 
like only uh, buy into the the lies that Trump tells or the the rhetoric out of Republicans just simply doesn't match the information that we have available. There's people that don't identify with Republicans and uh, or Democrats and don't agree with impeachment for a variety of reasons. There's people. And then there's also about a hundred million people that just aren't uh, calculated in these types of numbers that don't vote. And rather than think about how they can engage those people in a way that would get them to support a policy that would materially benefit them in their, in their lives, they're trying to demand that they sign on to the evilness and badness of Trump's actions sans any sort of uh, confrontation or uh, dealing with the inherent or the obvious to most people uh, ill nature of Hunter Biden's relationship uh, with the Ukraine and it's like the refusal to actually deal with what's wrong with that and to try and make it as if it's something that everybody should accept is especially problematic and, and harmful to the to the case, as you mentioned, for all the reasons that you do. Well, I mean, the problem is that Trump doesn't lie fully, usually, or rather he does lie a lot, obviously, but like his lies always have either a core of truth in so far as they like they draw on things that people can readily identify in their lives or he just straight up lifts an agreed upon silence that exists within the mainstream media or you know between the bipartisan party and appeals to hegemonic ideas that we don't like to admit that we subscribe to yeah that's what it is like he basically or even just like not necessarily if not necessarily the hegemonic idea ideals their consequences right you know like he he's able to just point out things that other politicians would not point out because it implicates too many people right so we talk about we just i mentioned that i feel like the ukraine thing was carefully chosen and even as certain politicians i think it was the mulvaney or fucking shift i can't remember uh like said it's like the, the worst thing he's ever done that's not true that, that, that he's not even the worst thing he's done this week probably to be honest right what it is it's the worst thing that he's done that can be pinned on him and only him theoretically uh and not create uh what could be uh, a precedent of accountability for the many many other bad actors in washington if another if 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 for some reason people started to demand it in other in other people right like that like that's like that's the that's the truth there that like they they went through pains to carve out a path to, for for impeachment that did not implicate too many other washington insiders too many other rich people too many other x y and z and it shows because they ended up with a pretty incoherent if not incoherent a pretty unintelligible re rationale that most people just aren't just don't really care about right like no one really cares about this uh, the detail wise the the symbolism is up for debate but they're not even able to properly weaponize it and you can tell because even as they're going through this impeachment process even as they're trying to do this they're still passing his bills like they're still passing things that allow him to say another victory for the trump administration like like they're they not only did are they in the process of passing or at least getting it through the house the like the the kids the, the new NAFTA 2.0 uh, something that Trump basically ran on the idea that oh I'm gonna NAFTA was a disaster it's hurt our workers it's, it's hurt people in Pennsylvania it's hurt people in Michigan it's hurt it's hurt people all over. Uh, 
you know, main, uh, middle America, which is true. Which Democrats tried to deny to in order to save face for Hillary. You continue. I mean, yeah, they tried to deny, which, of course, they shouldn't because it is true. Again, if it's not true, true, it rings true amongst an entire population of post-industrial workers who have seen their entire towns basically be, you know, exported to uh, a developing nation. You know, they, they, I, I, I spent a lot of time in middle America. I spent a lot of time in post-industrial towns and every town has a factory and every fact and every every factory is different but the story is always the fucking same it, it whether it's the shoe factory or the rubbermaid factory or the cigar factory or the fucking the uh the steel mill it's like the like it, everyone used to work there or work in a service industry that revolved around it and then suddenly the factory got shipped off to another country and now our kids are all moving away and his just ability to say, hey, you know what? This is trade deal disaster. TPP also going to be a disaster. It's a bad deal. I'll get us a better deal. He has no the new deal fucking sucks, too. Still, there might be maybe better labor relation re- regulations in it. Probably not. But like they're, they're signing it through. There are many issues with it, most notably that it allows foreign countries or just country I mean, for allows foreign companies to sue sovereign nation something that people claim to care about like borders and all that shit in order to prevent them from establishing stricter regulations that might hurt the profit motives which something within the tpp that people argued against as being dangerous but like it's something he can point to as a victory when he's running for re-election and 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 since we and since that happened they also passed his fucking space force bill like can you believe that shit the space holy shit we're gonna have racist in space now like we needed space nazis that's that's what this decade was missing was the introduction of space nazis and now we we've really done it and uh, like it, it's it's remarkable it really is we got to put concentration camps on the moon man we can't we can't we can't stop until we're, we're doing hate crimes on the fucking moon but like and then initial initial at least people I talked to initially about it were like, oh, yeah, but the Democratic Party was able to get like six weeks of paid vacation or some shit for like federal workers. Like, oh, a big whoop de do like six weeks, six weeks of federal vacation for the federal workers, like a get paid vacation, like for federal workers, materially federal, like that surely, surely that makes up for the fucking seven hundred and thirty eight billion dollar Space Force bill. That seems like an equitable exchange. But then it turned out that that was just Ivanka doing it. Yeah. And then on top of that, they've actually, they've again walked right into it and in that uh, already uh, Trump and the Senate and McConnell and the Senate have said that they won't take up that deal until impeachment's done. And fucking Jared Kushner had them pull out a provision, apparently, that would have that would have prevented us from selling arms to Saudi Arabia for, for bombing Yemen. It's like they because nothing they got, says democracy, supporting democracy, like arming an absolute monarchy in their attempts to bomb children in buses and schools and hospitals on purpose. But see that and see like that's the other part of that, like that goes along with the NAFTA 2.0 thing. Like not only is Saudi Arabia like you know committing genocide in fucking Yemen currently as we speak with our arms that we're dealing them but like they've transgressed against us like personally like theoretically you would think whether like hey you know like NAFTA has issues has lots of issues when it comes to like workers relation you know organized labor uh the ability for people to unionize and you know essentially like have leverage over 
corporations in America, you know, workers having leverage because they can just be those jobs can be just be shipped off, right? Uh, Saudi Arabia, like, like I said, bombing a foreign country into dust, like fucking war crime, unimaginable damage, like. But I know the Democrats and Republicans don't give a shit about like poor people like at home or abroad. I know that. But like you think that they would be able to like or rather you wouldn't think because we know that they're fucking hypocrites, but not really hypocrites. They just lie. Like, they're just liars uh, about what they about their values. They lie about their values. Um, like Also to themselves think- sometimes. So continue. <laughs> Yeah, but you would think that the Democratic Party would be able to make a, a compelling argument about like, hey, you know what? Like, you want to arm this country who was like killing American journalists who did nine eleven. Although we can't talk about that for some reason, like they, but they certainly did not. They not only did nine eleven, they threatened to do it again to Canada. They were gonna fucking bomb like I don't know the the Maple Leaf Tower or some shit. I don't know what can like what buildings Canada has. Uh, like it sounds right. And, the net, yes, that sounds like the, the 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 fucking moose the, the moose bat towers or some fucking bullshit. Uh, then like, but in the NAFTA 2.0, it's gonna allow like foreign companies to violate American sovereignty by suing by suing the government to prevent you know it's gonna violate law of the land. They're gonna be able to sue our government to prevent us from like protecting our citizens. It's like the people who complete who claim to care about nativism and like American nationalism and all that shit are incredibly incredibly fluid with those values not the Republican Party we know they're lying but like their base and everyone else and and the Democratic Party doesn't make the appeal to those values either properly they only want to argue the Republican framing when it hurts them but like when it comes down to actually you know using Republican framing to like like hey you know what you say you believe in national sovereignty you say you believe in protecting Americans from foreign threats but like what's going on with this shit it's like I mean, they try to do it, but every time they try to do something like that, they just end up like goading them into war. <laughs> like, like, like <laughs> yeah. they're, inca- they're, inca- they're incapable of like they can't just say like, "Hey, you know what? Trump is in favor of this of like this particular thing uh, that seems to violate with the the standards of the Republican base." It's always more like Trump is a pussy for not bombing more countries. Like I, I thought, I thought he was a real man. I thought. <laughs> It feels sometimes like we only have two foreign policy modes. It's either, you know, arm the country or bomb it. It's like if if you can't do one of those, then we have to just pretend like the country doesn't exist. Sometimes we do both of them at the same time. Like yeah, quite frequently, really. <laughs> and if, and usually even if we do and when it's arming them, usually it's uh, then bombing them and defending ourselves from the arms that we gave them. I it, mean, it's crazy. It obviously doesn't value the lives of people abroad, but then you value American lives. Then that's like that's another argument. Like it doesn't make us safer. It doesn't it makes it's it's more dangerous to us. But the point about NAFTA and the Space Force is that those are things that like Trump can point to when in his reelection campaign to say that this impeachment thing, speaking of like is just it, it's it's fucking it's bullshit right i mean because if it were real and this is me arguing from his point of view like why would they continue to give me what i want it's like the republican party would not even allow obama to fucking appoint a supreme court justice because he was like because like his re-election was coming up in like two years and the democratic party is like yeah you know what we're going through impeachment this person is the most dangerous theoretically he's an existential threat to america but we still believe that we should be engaging in business as usual through the you know through bargaining and like I feel like we've already forgotten about Dick Cheney and the profiteering of his buddies from the Iraq war like that was a thing that happened <laughs> like, 
But now we have Bush on TV with Ellen or, you know, Mich- or Michelle Obama talking about how they share values. They do share values. They, they, they absolutely, they absolutely, there is, there, there, they absolutely share values with the, that is not a surprise at all, unless you, unless you only listen to what they're saying. And I mean, that's what, like, when, like, when, when she got up and she said, like, they share values, but they disagree on policy. What the fuck does that even mean? It's right? just like, it's like, what, like, what does, like, what does it mean that you share, what value do you share? Like, what, like, what, like, that, like, that's like, that's that kind of, they've, they've learned to parrot this language and, and by they i mean like politicians who consider them to be rhetorically skilled not like black people but like they <laughs> they've learned to parrot this language because Pete Buttigieg is coming out and saying trump is a system uh, is a symptom like a symptom of what like what like what do you think he's a symptom of you explain to me like what do you think trump is a like he's a symptom of like gridlocking you know gridlocking government and, and the people not being enough free enough it's like no shut the fuck up he's a symptom of you like he's a symptom you and your you and people like you uh politicians who are only interested in expressing symbolic rationality for why they belong in like uh, seats of power and who have no real plan to govern except for like enriching themselves and top like he's a symptom of you and you continue to like empower him by doing shit like with the like joe biden by like Putting him in positions where he's the only person who is going to speak even a vague semblance of the truth to certain issues. It's like he's the only like they continue to make it so that you that the first time anyone's going to hear anything about like fucking Joe Biden's corrupt ass kid is from Trump on a debate stage in front of like two million people, and he's going to be like, "Hey, Joe, how's trap how's Trapper doing in in check?" And he's going to be like, that, that, "That's not my son's name." Trump, for all his by uh, what is insufficiencies. I'll go with uh, his rhetoric and bullying is one of the places where he excels. He's not even that good. I, like he's funnier than like in, in a in a world of comparatively, people, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> he's comparatively funny. But like, what makes him so compelling is that he's a huge piece of shit and an asshole. But also, like his humor, like, like he's really. It sounds silly to say that he's saying because like it's, this is like usually just like a bullshit line that he he's just saying things people are thinking. It's just like, but in some situations it's true because mostly you know not only he but the far right empowers him, themselves by lifting the veil of secrecy on 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 things that the you know mainstream establishment bipartisan put in boxes. It's like he decimated the Republican field by not by talking shit about the Bushes and talking shit about the Iraq War and talking and like in making vague gestures to increasing or rather you know incredibly vague gestures to public works projects and like he just didn't play by the agreed upon set of rules and he was able to steamroll them and he, and he it makes the larger point it's like trump isn't smart trump is a fucking moron and the people on paper who he's going up against are a lot smarter than he is but when you're shackled by ideology or you are incapable of not being disingenuous because of what it might cost you it's you're easy to beat because all you gotta do, all you have to do is like say basic, incredibly basic facts that even the most, the dumbest person with like eyes can see. It, it, it takes a lot of money and a lot of fucking like conditioning to be as credulous and dumb as politicians and pundits are. Like you gotta practice to be that stupid, right? 
It's like I I look to Chrysalis as inspiration on a regular basis to just boldly say the most dumbest shit I can think of, and it, it never fails that he supersedes uh, my highest expectations in that degree. Like it, it, there's the punditry and the people out there. I actually just came across a, a old Chris Hayes tweet from 2017 where he basically says even the crudest Marxist analogy is uh, generally better and more accurate than what a lot of these professional pundits get paid to propagate on television and it's like it, it, it's absolutely true it's it, like a very crude and basic marxist analysis analysis will get you will put you at a or will give you a much better and comprehensive understanding of the situation and, and provide the framework for analysis that will give you a much better understanding of the situation and the forces at play than uh, several hours of watching cnn or msnbc would give you just asking a random person on the street what they think we should do about health care like a random person who theoretically exists that doesn't watch like any kind of political media what we should do about health care you get a better answer than a better more practical answer than probably you'd get from a Pete Buttigieg but someone who's like because it takes a lot of time like I, I can't remember the exact quote but like people who are up to no good spend a lot of time thinking about how to justify being up to no good people who are just like walking through the world navigating it like if you just like and stay instinctually have better answers like more ethical answers for things because they're not trying to come up with a way to fuck you over it's just like, like they always like oh no we should give people health care and you would like they would like well how do we fund that like i don't, I don't know we, we, we tax people like we know we, we tax people and we we know we we like and like yeah like that that's basically it i mean it's like well how do other countries do it yeah, it's like, and then it's like, well, do we have more money than them? Yeah, a lot more money than them. We already spending almost twice as much as them. <laughs> Enough for fucking us for a space force, which they framed as a goddamn compromise. They were like, oh yeah, we were able to reach a con- like, what, like what, what? What was the Republican stretch goal then? When they were trying to kill God, <laughs> like, they, right. we need eight trillion dollars to kill fucking God. And they were like, no, but you could have enough money to blow up the moon, like fucking Piccolo. Right. It's wild. The level of uh, acquiescence and complacency that you see from the Democratic Party. Mercury is consistently in retrograde. And so like the Republican Party wanted money to fucking destroy it. And Democrats were like, no, we can give you like, we can give you enough money to put like nukes in space. Yeah. It's just how like you said before, it's just how do you just kind of put those things within the same mind and it feels impossible for them to both occupy uh, the same mind at the same time that this guy is an existential threat to national security and humanity in general but also we should give him space nukes so that we can get six weeks of vacation for a couple million employees they that no that was again that was I thought Ivanka wanted that you know I mean to be fair if you, if you got if you got to get rolled by a Trump if there are worse Trumps to get rolled by an Ivanka but like fair enough like, yeah it's just like but like she wanted that they didn't they didn't argue for that like she got that because that's like one of her like little pet projects at the same time though yeah. like you're right like how do you square circle how do you square circle like you're, you're the smart party but you're also getting fucking rolled over by like the dumbest man on the planet like again except for chris solizzo who's basically like if you i don't know if you've seen big mouth i just why it's binge watch the fucking first three seasons of big mouth solizzo it's like if you if coach steve was a fucking uh, pundit like, <laughs> it's just like that it's just like that's like that's who he reminds me of like he has the same kind of like mental cadence as like coach steve 
oh, it's just like it's just so bad, so bad. And recently, he was talking about how you know, uh, you know, getting paid for this stuff, but nobody understands what was going on there, and it's just like his his fucking top two candidates were Beto O'Rourke and Kamala Harris. It's like he's he's crazy stupid. Like, how can you be so wrong, so bold, and still like walk around in public? Like, I mean, like because there's it, no price for being wrong if in pursuit of and like in service of the fucking establishment yeah and it's just it's just i feel like remarkable i feel like if somebody came in from the outside and observed this stuff they just it's hard to even believe let alone see how people go full-heartedly into it and argue this is the only sensible way to see things it's just like how are we on the same planet i mean it really just requires you to like replace common sense i hate using the phrase common sense because like it's very rarely you know like it's usually just like a way for people to i hate these words but gaslight you will it's well not gaslight you it's usually just a way for like people to reference like the hege- hegemonic uh impulses rather rather impulse that they have due to hegemonic ideology but in this case we're talking about like, like just instinctual gut like i'm a human being it, it takes a lot of like ideological conditioning to be able to convince yourself of the opposite stuff which is the funny thing because you know i mentioned it before and I'll, I'll, I mentioned on Twitter and I'll mention it here as well. It's like the far right to me is it's it's more complicated than the center because like the far right, you, you're forced to engage with if you're being honest about like the appeal of Trump, if you're being honest about the appeal of fascism and how it's not just like a far right phenomenon, but it has like it has bits and pieces from all over what we would consider to be the 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 political spectrum uh like you're forced to contend with the fact that like yeah they're racist bigots but at the core of what their proselytes are selling is some kind of acknowledgement that the system is not working that material like it's not you can't really consider it a material analysis it's not marxist they are concerned about hegemonic power but they're not really marxist it's mostly just like they draw on like observable material and social declines like oh we know we have extreme poverty we have extreme lack of social mobility we have an opioid crisis we have a a crisis of loneliness we have a we have a suicide epidemic uh ideally none of those people will address will talk to joe biden about their about their problems but like he's gonna like jump pussy (laughs) (laughs) oh yep yeah, he's 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 not a kind dude, but like these people, like like we have all those things, and they because the Democratic Party refuses to refuses to talk about them. The far right is able to lift the veil of silence on them, mention it, and then pivot to some sort of bullshit racist analysis, some sort of bullshit sexist analysis. But at the core, there is this material analysis. The center, the center, at least center left, has no such thing. It's like, like the, like the, like. But they're quick to call the far right stupid. They're quick to call the the right the dumb ones. They're quick to call them the ones who are irrational. But like they're like you know I'm. It's not really controversial. It's more like. I, I don't like either people. I, I like fascists less, obviously, but it's not as though centrists won't align themselves with fascists over us. So it's kind of a moot point. But like, they think they're the the centrists think they're the smart ones. That they're the ones who are always lobbying the argument. That, oh, people in the South are always voting out of their self interest. They're like they're always voting for Republicans. They're always. It's like, but honestly. <laughs> 
I have, I, it's not that the far right votes out of their self-interest, it's that they're like, I don't know, the true trick is wrong, it's like, they are at least basing their votes on like objective material realities that they are observing in the world, mm-hmm. both for themselves and sometimes other people, uh, you know, their family, like centrists are the ones who are entirely voting based on symbolic rationale, they're voting entirely based on symbolic rationale, they're convinced they're the smart, intelligent ones despite being rolled by Trump, and and they're convinced, like, and they look around the world, they look around the like the rapidly collapsing society, fucking climate change, uh, like the rise of fascism, and they go, you know what? No, this is sustainable. Like this, like this, this is like we're going, like we are going to let, we're going to ride this out. Like, yeah, I know I'm a project manager at a company analogous to any number of one of these tech companies that just basically go bump, bump, belly up overnight, it, only to be only for the founder to either go to jail for some sort of SEC crime, rarely, or just up and start another one with the more VC money, because like shit, that shit doesn't run out. Uh, and me not lose, and me lose my job, and maybe I find another one, or maybe I'm forced to move back to one of those post industrial towns I came from, or maybe I'm forced to stay here working in the service industry. Like they like that doesn't pierce the like their fucking ideology at all. It's like mm-hmm. like they're like they like they they are absolutely sure they are voting in their self-interest when they're voting for a Pete Budigeg type figure. Oh and and then when like when the far right you know like they, they make fun of the people like hey you know what like I, I've got, I gotta protect I'm gonna lose my health insurance because it turns out I was on Obamacare I just thought it was the ACA it's like okay first of all if if anyone doesn't know that the ACA is Obamacare that's a breath of Democratic Party failure because like they should have been tramping that from the beginning but B it's like you're you're the same you're, you're the same as that like you're like you're that person you're the one yep. who's fighting to preserve this fucking bullshit health system because you happen to have employer health care right now at your fucking like startup job that you're probably going to lose i hate to say it in like six months like you're probably like you know we work just went out of business and yeah they fired like a hundred like a thousand or two thousand fucking janitorial and service and you know administrative staff but they fired a lot of those you know project manager class people too you know, I rather they mean like the PMC classes. Usually, uh, the um, I, I call them project managers class. That's the like that's like the most <laughs> basic job I can think of that like pays you a lot of money but doesn't really have a direct fucking like job description. So a lot of, there are a lot of them that exist. But you know, but like they fire a lot of like VP of blank at WeWork, VP of blank at this. They fire a lot of those people too. The consultancy game is like is scrunching up too. And you know, we're gonna be start hearing a lot of those same narratives from the center who sell who who support candidates like Budigan or Klobuchar about how they lost their health insurance because oh, they thought this ride was going to last forever. It's like, no, nah, you're about to get Dick and Jane, man. Like, you know, like that, that's going, it's happening all over the place. And just because it hasn't happened at your particular place yet doesn't mean it's not coming. And that's the, the story of capitalism is finding a marginalized, exploited class. And once they are no longer able to be continued to be marginalized or exploited, then you have to find a new group and it's the next people on the ladder. And uh, like, there's the poem about it. But I think one of the things that you raised that I think is really important is the, that the truth that Republicans get to speak to is that they are besieged on every side by the people that they have marginalized and oppressed for decades or hundreds of years. And that's a real thing that's happening. The, the absolute dominance that they had over society and the structures at play is ever so slightly waning. And so when it does, and Republicans point that out, they're speaking a truth to people that resonates, whereas Democrats 
are trying to tell people that all of that has already been improved and where it hasn't is strictly a result of Republicans. And then that doesn't map on to the reality that, you know, for instance, black people face in Chicago or Detroit or various other Democratic strongholds that have been like entirely Democratic for decades now. So the idea that it's Republicans that stop Democrats from making progress just doesn't map to the reality for a lot of the constituencies with which they're trying to pass that off, namely the black and brown and other marginalized communities for which they just basically say, well, you're right that we're lying, but we're less bad than the other guys. So, you know, you better vote for us or (laughs) or else. Well, I agree with you. I would just expand what you're saying to include this, which is that like unless you're actively on the left and actively engaging with the hegemonic nature of neoliberalism, which is essentially only the left, the far right, like I mentioned earlier, like they acknowledge the ex both the far right and the center left full of far rightism. Like they sometimes to varying degrees in very ways acknowledge the exit, the eccentricities of capitalism. They acknowledge that like, hey, yeah, like they're like, or rather eccentricities or the excesses or the various like the they will like you know put a magnifying glass on one effect and say like hey actually this effect is the problem like you know that's the that's the conflation of correlation with causation that the far right is known for when it comes for like global migration or diversity or integration like hey integration went up which it really didn't and then crime went up or crime went down or whatever you know like it's not the same thing there are intervening factors but what makes what I think that you're what you're, what you're speaking to, I think, is the truth, is that the Democrats and Republican Party both rely on the, 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 the individualistic aspect of neoliberalism and the un, and uncritical aspect of it to frame their arguments from like the standpoint of their like of their audience. And by that, I mean, and that's, a, and that's a pretty inarticulate way to what I'm trying to say is like, Democratic, the Republican Party, as you mentioned, the far right, they will say that, hey, you know what, the, well, like, the, uh, the, the, you are being besieged on all sides by minorities. You're becoming the victim of a SJW agenda. And that, like, and the proof of that victimization is just the minor losses of, you know, of privilege that they, you know, that they perceive themselves as like, oh, affirmative action is causing you to lose out on shit, like at your job, whatever. Imaginary bullshit, right? I can't grab my secretary's ass anymore. This is, this is what country am I in? I can't finger blast my secretary in the middle of a meeting while calling like the doorman a, a queer. It's like, the, and so, and so now the communists have won. It's like, yeah, the com- Becky and HR, the communist ha- has won, you know, you, because you have to go to harassment training. Like, it's like, so they won. take the grain of truth that yes, they can't grope women openly in the office anymore and then combine it with a radical untruth that it's because of radical communists that are taking over and infiltrating they- every avenue of whatever, you know. Or they combine the material reality of like, hey, you know what? Your neighborhood in Detroit is fucking crumbling. But, and, they, and they conflate it with like not being able to grab the ass of their secretary, which is mm-hmm. obviously false. But like, like it's, it, it just doesn't even make any sense. But it, it, if 
and devoid of any other rationality, you know, like that particular one might not have purchased, but you can find another one. Like, hey, it's not not being able to grab a secretary's assets. It's Mexicans. Like, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Like, I, I do notice more Mexicans in like the neighborhood, but the Democrats do the same thing. Their proof of society getting better is more or less just like their core audience noticing moderate types of diversity or symbolism, symbol, moderate forms of diversity or inclusivity in their own particular life and taking it to be gospel for what's going on everywhere else. So both of the parties, both like all of the ideologies that don't aren't engaging fully with the individual aspect, the individualist aspect of our society rely on just like like making people draw only on their own experiences to justify the broad scale fucking the disguise the broad scale collapse of what's happening and making them think that hey you know what fascism capitalism whatever's going on like you can be exempt from it like you can be exempt from this particular thing you like we can carve out an exception for you up until the point where like, it's too late for you to, you know, like that's the old, that's the, like the, in some ways the meme poem, but it, it is true. Like first they came for the trade unionists, then, for, then they came for the X and they, and like, I didn't speak up cause that wasn't me. And then like a certain, eventually they got to me and like, I thought they would never get to me. I thought I was the one who was safe, but that's how fascism and capitalism function. They function by convincing you that you're safe up until the point where you, you, you become not safe. And then the person to your right thinks they're safe. Yeah, it feels tropey, but it's just it's 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 happening. Like I feel like you know we mentioned I mentioned earlier kind of the historic nature of uh, living through an impeachment as there's been so few throughout the history of the United States, despite basically every president warranting it, in my opinion. But uh, like that, this historic moment it, it, it's unique in that we're we're living through it and it's being documented and it's experienced it's existing at the same time as the internet and the that kind of interaction that we see and it also documents because i'm sure a lot of the twitter conversations that you see happened in the 19th and 18th century and such as well to in one way or another but we don't have the kind of records that we have today because of the you know the nature of society at the time and so we have you know letters between presidents and but that's only a very small segment of what was going on i think you can see in the little bits and pieces that we have from more common citizenry about their opine their opinions about what was transpiring at these various times uh, it, it, particularly during the revolutionary period is there's a lot of a, a lot of the same recognitions a lot of the same noticing a lot of the same things just in a slightly different context based off the time and it's the re- the repetitive nature of these revolutionary movements and the circumstances that kind of uh uh what's the word i'm looking for that i don't know kind of bring them into being is something that we can learn from and that we can use to our advantage as people that don't want this to end poorly if we take the time to learn uh, from the lessons of the past well i mean my last statement on the issue because we're running up on time Mm -hmm. here is that like we find ourselves incapable of learning from the past because we treat every incident that occurs afterwards as though it's new and has no, like a Trump, it has no genealogy. It has no cause. It has no effect. It, 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 every, despite assertions to the contrary, we treat any important event, whether it be slavery or civil rights movement or the Holocaust or Trump or Obama, like we we don't really 
properly contextualize it. And we have a hard time. We spend so much time trying to get people to admit it's happening, much less get them to admit that it, it like it's based in something that's more than just the most proximate cause that it, we spend a lot of time arguing over information for no reason. Right. You know, it, it's you know, people say I, I jokingly say because I, I watched that fucking true detective that like time is a flat circle. But in reality, time is more like a spiral. Like our society is more like a spiral where like things repeat themselves, if not exactly with people things repeat themselves with enough variation from the original obviously because it's drawing upon its own past like society is drawing upon its own past and people who are operating within society are drawing upon its own past and history to give their you know their actions more meaning and you know to themselves and to other people and just to change but like things happen with enough difference the same things happen with enough difference that people can justify them as being different and unique even though they aren't we know that from all of the we know it happens from all the coups that the people claim are definitely not a coup this time like there's enough there's enough uniqueness to justify the argument that it's not the same and that we can't like make broad broad generalizations based on like the same thing that happened like 40 50 10 years ago 20 years ago uh enough to keep us arguing about whether or not it's the same and we continue to spiral down like we just continue to spiral and spiral into like uh you know what appears to be pit i'm actually very hopeful though i don't i I don't find that to be particularly disheartening i just think it's fucking weird i think it's weird that we can't learn anything from the past unless it's a pre-approved message you know that speaks to like the nature of hegemony and power but it's it's weird that like we can sit here and we have to have an eight-month argument about what's the concentration camp but it's speaks to the fact that we haven't learned anything from the holocaust we haven't learned anything from the other things that occurred before the holocaust that led to the holocaust and the things that that, that are still around like despite continuing to talk about it we, we didn't learn anything we don't even know why it happened most people don't even know why it happened really or if they know why it happened they they have a very specific pre-approved message for why it happened they don't know why slavery happened they don't know what they don't know why a civil rights movement succeeded like they they literally think that people like just ask nicely for their rights and then politicians was like, oh, well, since you asked nicely and presented me with a well-reasoned argument, then I guess I will just grant you your rights. But, and, and again, part of that is just because like, we want to believe, like, we're con- we're conditioned and forced, really coerced into believing in the, the morality of our leadership, then it's just, like, it, it's, a, it's a boondoggle, just like the Space Force. Yeah, the, there's, I just feel like kind of a finishing thought is just that there's, we're at a moment, we're, we're, we're at a moment, and uh, people are going going to be confronted with whether they're going to one way to put it idiocracy comes to mind is lead follower get out of the way or another way uh, in the text that i'm reading from Mao is essentially that you can lead the charge you can criti- criticize it from the back or you can be in opposition and uh, i think uh, for people that find themselves uh, hesitant to embrace a more radical political stance uh, but in recognition of the insustainability of both, especially the Republicans, but also the Democratic Party. It's uh, to kind of see things in that perspective and with the addendum that, you know, we face an actual catastrophic uh, climate collapse in the immediate future. And at this point, we're we're beyond preventing it and at the point of uh, preparing for it in a way that doesn't uh, even further exacerbate the 
the oppression and marginalization of the most vulnerable people in our global society and <laughs> so it's important that we that we do what we can and that we we confront these things and we engage and we don't shy away because as i've mentioned a few times already it is a historic moment and like i saw it on twitter even uh when trump first came to office is like people often what say or talk about you know oh during this time i would have done x y and z and it's like we're living through that time and what you would have done is what you're doing now Oh my God! Every every motherfucker would have mer- would have fucking marched with King. That's like that's the big. That's why they hate Bernie so much because he actually that nigga actually did it. It's just like honestly, exactly. if I marched with King, you would not. You would never hear the fucking end of it. I would have that photo fucking framed. I would bring it on with me on dates. I mean, I would be what seventy ish at the time right now. But like you know, what I'm trying to say I would get mad ass with that. Would I marched right next to King? Like shit. I, I threw myself over his body when they were trying to beat us. Like that's a hundred percent. But my, I suppose like you know, staying home and going, they're blocking the streets. You know how 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 are people supposed to get to work? You can't. You, you're not going to get our rights that way. But I guess I'll just share this as my closing thought. I think people are hesitant to adopt what they perceive as radical radical politics a because they've been conditioned to think that the people they see on tv are are smart you know smart moral you know essentially by a scriptive by a scriptive designation like they're smart and moral because they're on tv or because they're rich or some combination probably both of because they're on tv they are rich um and so they don't want to deviate from that standard that's being modeled for them of morality and intelligence second i think people are having to adopt radical politics because like they don't really understand how radical our politics or how radical our status quo actually is and like that's like that's the thing that's a little bit more troubling it's because like well you don't want to be a far leftist it's like well society is the far rightist like we're not like like the moment doesn't seem very radical because it's the i mean it seems radical to a lot of people because like a lot of people are either being directly affected by the most radical elements of our moment uh the police state the prison industrial complex the military industrial complex but also it's like it or they know somebody or like they're like or they're just savvy enough to be cognizant of what's happening outside of their direct world which is great you love people like that you love people who aren't directly affected by things but can understand that this is a society right uh like so it they are afraid of adopting a radical position because they just don't understand like a rat like it there's nothing rational about just trying to make your way through an irrational world it's like try the most radical thing that you can do is restore rationality to it. you can just say hey you know what the, the, our, system, the, our system doesn't make any sense our healthcare system is so bad that another country views having it as like an existential crisis it's like that should be a sign that we should do something about it but we've been stripped of that version of rationality and it's been replaced with the pseudo rationality of the market of technocracy of you know mainstream electoral politics and polling it, it sometimes you just have to make you just need someone to make like a hey people shouldn't sleep on the streets and that despite 
arguments to the contrary resonates with people. Like just making a clear ethical argument resonates with people and you can cut through you can just gain brownie points from like by not trying to sound like a fucking nerd. Quickly on that point, uh, just as a little bit of local politics, and because I'm also very critical of uh, electoralism in general, I do have to note that there was that, to that point, Kashama Swant proposed the banning, uh, uh, evicting people during winter, which is like a, a low bar, I, I think, in many ways, but it's, it's, it speaks to that. It's like, well, yeah, it, it is pretty messed up to kick people out of their home when it's freezing outside and it's just flat out inhumane even if they can't pay their bills like it's just not a human thing to do and it, it does resonate with people and uh having politicians bold enough to to make those confront those contradictions is critical in any sort of progress let's end it there uh thanks for listening mm-hmm. so no matter how hard it gets you stick your chest out keep your head up and handle it